Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. I'm Tim Blevins, lead pastor, and I'm honored you have come to join us. To experience our full service or for more information, check out the links in the description. I hope this message ministers to you and helps you find life in Jesus. Good morning, church. Happy birthday to our church. Happy birthday to you. That's exciting. I got a graduation certificate. That means a lot to me, to be honest. When, when I was in high school, I was very happy to get that certificate because it was a little in question from time to time with my grades, but we did it. And so, but man, 18 years, what a, what a story we have. So it's been great. If you're a guest today, I want to give a special hello and welcome to all you that are with us for the first time. Can you join me with that? Just a great welcome to everybody. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, we are uh, preparing for Easter next week. Lachlan mentioned that in the announcements, but three services next week. So it's going to be great. Uh, Easter is significant for believers. Uh, obviously, we love the holiday. We, we like dressing up. You have, maybe you can get your Easter outfit. I'm, I'm going to go shopping for my Easter outfit this week. And um, yeah, that's kind of weird, but I am. I, I want to look good, you know, but... Um, you know, it's great to be with family, but the reality is we celebrate Easter because it is the most significant event for a Christian, period. And so we gather for Easter because we want to celebrate, honor, memorialize that our Savior, who was dead, is now alive. And so I want to see you back here next week so we can celebrate that for all that it's worth. It'll be great. Uh, we're in a series that is leading us into Easter called The Wonder of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the wonder of His miracles. Today, we're going to talk about the wonder of His love. Next week, we're going to talk about the wonder of His victory. And as you have victory in Christ, you see the world through just a different lens. There's a, just a different way to see life when you, when you have the victory of Christ in you. So that'll be next week. And the service will be about one hour apiece, and it'll be great, so I hope to see you then. Today, I want to take us to our topic, though, the wonder of His love. The wonder of His love. I like the word love. I like to tell people I love them. I'm kind of a lovey guy. I like to tell people that, you know, you're awesome, and I love you, man, and, you know, I love you, bro, or I love you, church. But, but the reality is, is no one loves you like Jesus loves you. My best love doesn't compare to what Jesus does. The Bible teaches us that there are four kinds of love in the Bible. And the first is phileo love, and that's kind of the friendship kind of love. So like Ashley Limbert right here on the front row, you know, like, I love you, bro. Like we, phileo friendship, right? So, you know, like that's just awesome. And so when I say to you, I love you, it's the friendship kind of love, all right? So there's another kind of love, and it's, kind of, it's considered the, the family-type love. This is storge love. So this is how, like, I love my children and how they love me. And so family love. So it's different. Like, I love you, Ashley, but I don't love you like I love my daughter and my son and my son-in-law and daughter-in-law, right? You, you, that doesn't hurt your feelings, does it? No. So, um, but, so it's different, you know. It's just always different. Then the, the third love is the eros love. And so... Like that's, that's my wife, you know, that's, you know, romantic love. And 
that's sure not us, bro. So that, we're way not there, like way on the other side of the platform for that. Um, the Bible teaches us that, that romantic love is between one man and one woman, husband and wife. And so that's Eros love. But the highest love there is, is agape love. And that's the unconditional, everlasting, sacrificial love that we experience through Jesus Christ. And it is the greatest of love. And, and, you know, that's the model for us to learn to love. But that's how we receive love. And that's what we're talking about, the wonder of this kind of love. The question for me, though, is how do we attempt to quantify to the degree of how much Jesus really loves us? How do we size that up? How do we, how do we determine how much he loves us? Because when I think about the wonder, and that's what this series is about, is, is the wonder. It's the amazement. Like the reason I'm doing this series is to remind us of how, um, how awesome and how wonderful our Savior is. It's easy to get a little bit um, familiar with the name of Jesus and our relationship with him. It's easy to get to where we don't appreciate fully all that Christ has done for us. We live in a, in a place where we talk about Jesus a lot. We sing about Jesus. And so it would be easy to lose that sense of awe. I want to be awestruck. And that's what we're doing this series on. And when it comes to how much he loves us and the way he loves us, it's easy just to blow by that. Yeah, Jesus loves you. You know, you probably have heard Jesus loves you. And so, but but how much? Let's catch the, the depth and the gravity, the weight of how much he loves us. So to do that, I want to try to illustrate it just a moment to, to determine how much he loves us. And the way I want to approach it is to determine like the, the value of something. So like the value of a car or the value of a house. A thing is worth or it's valued based on what someone is willing to pay for it. So whatever someone's willing to pay for, if that's the real value of that thing. Really, it doesn't matter about the materials that are in that thing. It doesn't even matter the condition or the age of a thing. The only thing that matters is, is what will someone pay for? That's what determines the value of something based on what someone will pay for. So as an example, in, in Wilmington, in our area, if you're in real estate, you, you understand this, or you've sold a house or bought a house, you know that that the prices of houses have skyrocketed in our area and probably nationwide they've skyrocketed. But a house in Wilmington that was sold for, and this is like two years ago, a house that was sold for about $250,000 today will sell for over $300,000. There's been a 25% increase in the value of homes in our area. And so the house is, is valued at that, but but why is it valued? Why did it go up that way? And a house in our area has increased because more people just want to pay for the houses that are here. They're just like, we're willing to pay more, so the price of the house goes up. And it's not because they added a pool in the backyard. It's not because they added something onto the side of the house. The same house, it just went up in value because people are willing to pay more for it. So as an example, let's say you, you have a house and you want to sell it and you put it on the market for $500,000. And then week after week, no one gives you an offer on that house. Finally, someone offers you $400,000 for your house. You know what the real value of your house is? 
it's $400,000. You may think it's worth five hundred. dollars That may be in your heart what you want for it, but that doesn't matter. It's only what someone will pay for it. On the other side, though, let's say you list it for $500,000 and you get six offers by the end of the first day for $600,000. Now you realize your house has a value of at least $600,000, but only based on what it was people were willing to pay for it. So here's my point. Jesus placed the highest value on you. And we know this because he paid the highest price for you by giving his life. In 1 John 3.16, it says, This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And that's how we know his love. We know the value of love. He paid for us by laying his life down for us. He died for us. That's how much we're worth. You place your value there. What determines your real worth? Sometimes we get mixed up with this and we all do this. How do we determine what, what our worth is? Sometimes we evaluate our life. We want to find out what, you know, not, maybe we don't want to find out, but we just kind of have this running thing in our head about my value. You know, we kind of do positives and negatives based on the actions and things we do. So, so as an example, let's say you're in high school and you make great grades this semester. Suddenly you evaluate your life and you're like, I feel good about myself. And so you evaluate your life there. Let's say, though, for example, though, you tried to make it on the cheerleading squad and you didn't get selected and you feel rejection. And so now you value your life less than. And so people value their life based on outside things and circumstances. I mean, sometimes people look in the mirror and they try to determine based on what they look like. They value themselves. And I mean, you know, like... Listen, you can have a, a, a very pretty person, girl, can look in the mirror and she can go, oh, I look fat, right? I mean, that happens all the time, ladies, does it not? I mean, I'm, I've seen it. I know how y'all act. You know, it's funny. There's a big difference between guys and girls. Girls can look in the mirror and be, you know, beautiful and, and you are beautiful. And, and they, they, you know, they, they don't think so well of themselves. A dude can look in the mirror. You know what guys do? We look in the mirror and we're like, awesome. I'm looking pretty good today. You know, like, I mean, that's how we do. We don't know. We don't care. We're like, oh, you know, you look at it straight on, you know, we look skinny. It's, it's great. Um, so, you know, we don't turn sideways and check it out. So, but listen, people, people try to evaluate themselves based on exterior things. And like my value is based on that. They might value themselves on like the mistakes they've made in their past. They've like, I made huge mistakes. I failed in life. I failed in this business. I failed in this. And so that, that becomes a way we, we see ourselves. And maybe some of you are like, well, I didn't grow up with a, with a mom or a dad and, and you feel less than or cheated in some way. Maybe you, maybe you didn't grow up with very much money and you felt like that, that devalued you in your life in some way. And what happens for all of us is we unintentionally place a value on us that is less than the truth. And I want you to know that your value isn't based on anything that you have done. Your value is based on what Jesus has done for you. That's your value. Your value is based on the price that he paid for you. And Jesus, he paid it all. He gave it all. He laid his life down for you and he died. And so this is the wonder of it all. This is the wonder of his love that Jesus is fully aware of our brokenness. 
He's fully aware of our unfaithfulness to him. Jesus is fully aware of our failures and our disappointments and our insecurities. He's fully aware of all the good decisions and bad decisions we've made. Yet the wonder of his love is that he died for us, fully aware that we are sinfully flawed in our lives. That's the wonder. That's why the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I find it equally as a sense of, of awe and, and wonder that not only does he know our past and he laid his life down for us, but he also knows our future. And he knows there's going to be mistakes and there's going to be failures. There's going to be unfaithfulness to him. Yet in the middle of knowing that, he still chose to love us and lay down his life for us. And so I hope this speaks to you today for just this thought today that my value, your value is based on the price that Jesus paid. Amen, church. But do you know what that price is? Do you know how much he paid? Do you know what it, it was for Jesus to, to pay for our salvation, to pay for us? Today, I want to take a few minutes and to help us understand the, the depths of his love for us by understanding the depths of his suffering for us. There, there's a, a contrast that, that we need to, to have, a, a contrast to appreciate the joy of Easter. Because next week we're going to come back and, and we'll, we'll be dressed colorful and bright and happy. And, and, and we're going to celebrate the joy of Easter, the joy of the resurrection. But to really fully appreciate that, you almost need to know the suffering, the, the other side of the cross to appreciate the resurrection. It's like we, we almost need to be able to appreciate light is to understand a little bit about darkness in some way. It reminds me of when we, um, when COVID first hit in, in our, you know, our country and everyone shut down their churches. About two months later, we opened back up. And I remember that first service so vividly. I remember sitting right over here and during worship crying because there was such a new appreciation in my life for what it was like to be gathered as a church body, singing and worshiping in the presence of Jesus. But it took about two months away for me to come back in and go, wow, this is amazing. So what I want to do today is prepare us for Easter, but to take us back three days before his resurrection. I want to celebrate it on next Sunday, but I want us to appreciate how we get there. And in order to appreciate the wonder of his love, we must, we must remember the wounds of the cross. And I'm going to read text to you today. And honestly, it's going to feel a little heavier through the moment. We're going to feel the weight of what Jesus did for us to be able to come into an appreciation for his love. The Bible says in John 19, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. 
The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in purple robe and they went up to him again and again saying, Hail the king of Jews. They mocked him. And then they slapped him in the face. And once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, he said, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. And as soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Verse 16 says, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus and carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Verse 28 says later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and they lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. The sorrowful and inhumane events that led up to the cross help bring us to a place of, of appreciation of what it was for him to, to die for our sins. I, I'm putting on the screen a kind of the, the series of events just so you can understand what, what happened on this day, just as a way of teaching. And, and so first of all, Judas betrayed Jesus in the garden. So the story begins just before that. Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room and they're sharing the Last Supper together. And... While there, Judas leaves that, that table and he goes to the authorities and he says to them, I know where Jesus is. And so he sells that information to them for 30 pieces of silver. And so then after that, excuse me, then after that, he was in the garden. He was arrested. And when he was arrested, when he was arrested in the garden and they took him away, his closest friends, the disciples, deserted him and fled. Now that's enough to feel the weight and the pain there when your closest friends, the, the men that had been with him through it all now have deserted him. Then Jesus was wrongfully accused. He was sentenced to be crucified. He was flogged and, and then beaten and humiliated. He was forced to carry the cross beam. He was nailed to the cross. He was pierced in his side. And he gave up his spirit unto death. Now this is a, the, the story here is, it's one of the most excruciating forms of death that any man could endure. And that culture, as we study the culture, it teaches us that Jesus, when he was crucified, he was tied to a, a pillar, maybe like a, if you could think of a stump about this tall and they strapped his hands around the side of it as if he were hugging it. And then they had a, a special unique whip that they used 
And the whip had, had knots and beads in it so that as they, as they beat his back, it would bruise his back. But also they tied into that leather whip these little pieces of, of bone from a, from a sheep or a goat. And as that, as that whip would then hit his back, that, that, that piece of bone would, would dig into the flesh and tear his flesh. And so only after a few lashes, the depth of the cuts would reach into the muscle tissue. And as each stripe cut across the master's, our master's torn shoulders, small particles of his sacred flesh fell from the whip onto the pavement, which is now covered with the precious blood of Jesus. You know, when you... Get that picture of that moment, the pain, the agony, his blood, his body. It brings some depth and context to a verse that we often quote. And I want to read this to you to, to, to feel it because it says in 1 Peter 2.24 that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sin and live for righteousness and then it says, by his wounds you have been healed. That, the word there, bore our sins. The word bore is a word that means, means forced into or driven or nailed into in some way. And so when it says that he, he bore our sins, it's as if that God bore the, the sins of humanity into his body, into his flesh. And his body was beaten and his precious blood was shed. Often in church we use this, this phrase that, that the blood of Jesus has, has covered us or the, the blood of Jesus has set us free. We're referring to this moment where his body was, was beaten and wounded, but the flesh and the, and the blood flowed. And, and those are the moments that we say that, that his body and his precious blood was shed. He did that so that we can be forgiven of our sins. He took our sin upon himself so that we can live free from that condemnation, free from our past, free from our shame, free from our defeats and our discouragement so that we can passionately live for Jesus under full appreciation today because we know the price he paid. The Bible says that by his wounds we are healed. By his stripes, some version will say stripes that we are made well are healed. If you remember last week, I preached about the word sozo. And sozo means, it has three real distinct meanings, but saved from our sin. It means healed in our body and delivered from our bondages. And so here we see the context, that word where it says healed is that sozo word. And it says by his wounds that we have been healed, we have been sozoed, we have been saved. And so we can apply this in, in our salvation, but we can apply it in our, in our healing of our bodies. And I mean, he paid that price. He was wounded so that we can be healed, so that we can be whole, so that we can be set free. You see, because of his wounds, I can purely worship my Savior. You see, worship 
should not be born out of the excitement of a excellent worship team. Uh, listen, I am so, you know, uh, appreciative of the quality, the town, and the anointing of our worship team. They're, they're amazing. But the reality is that, that regardless of them, that doesn't determine my worship. My worship is born out of an appreciation for my salvation, that Jesus loved me so much that my wonder of what he did becomes my worship of who he is. And so when I come to church on Sunday, and that's why I never want to miss a Sunday because I never want to miss a moment to say thank you. And so I return every week to say thank you for paying the price, for being wounded, for going to the cross, for, for being tied to that stump, for the lashes that went into your back, for the blood that was shed. I worship you for the wounds that you did for my life. Can I get an amen? Why don't we take a moment, church? Would you stand to your feet? Let's just worship him for this moment. I think you just can't pass a moment of appreciation. Lift your hands up and just say, just wave him to him and say, God, I thank you. I appreciate you. I worship you in this house. You are worthy of it, God, because of what you did. God, without music, I can worship you. Without, without anything else in my life, I can worship you. I can lift my voice, lift your voice and say, thank you for what he did. Begin to declare how good he is and say, thank you, Lord. You are worthy, Lord, worthy. Now use your hands for a moment. Give him praise. Say, praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. I praise you. You're worthy. He's worthy. You may be seated. After the severe beating, he was forced to carry the cross beam from the prison to a location outside the city. The cross beam, so a cross, as you know, is made up of two, two pieces of wood. And the cross beam is the one that, that is, you know, where his shoulders and his arms are tied to when he carries it. We, we've learned that, that they actually tied his hands to this piece of wood. And it's estimated that it weighed about 100 pounds. And if you can appreciate the way he probably felt to the best of our you know, ability. But this is the next day after these beatings and his body is, is, is shredded and his body's probably in shock. He's, he's weak. He hasn't slept, eaten. And then they strap this 100-pound piece of wood to him and now he's carrying it to a place called the Skull or Golgotha. And it's an uneven surface in the old city and there's rocks. And, and as he stumbles, because his hands are tied, he can't catch himself. So he falls with the full weight of a hundred pound log crashing upon him. Finally, he makes it to the destination. He is stripped of his garments and humiliated. And next, the nails or the iron spikes were used to nail his arms to the crossbeam. He's then hung on the cross to die in pain and asphyxiation. But finally, in the exact moment of Jesus' timing, he chose to give up his spirit and he died for us. You see, I tell you that not to bring shock and awe to your system, but to help us to understand that the death of Jesus reveals the depth 
of his love for us. And I don't want to ever lose the, the holiness of what Jesus has done. I don't ever want to lose the appreciation and the depth. I don't want to get so, so churchy and so religious and so clappy that, that when we say the name of Jesus, I still want it to, to pause me for just a moment, for me to say, whoa, hold on. He, he did something so magnificent for me that, that I have to pause and appreciate and maybe worship a moment because he did that for us. But potentially maybe you're, you're really new to church and you're here and you don't understand the why Jesus had to die for us and why he had to die that way for us. And I'll share that with you real quick because the Bible teaches us that our sin produces spiritual death in our life. In other words, our unholy sin separates us from our holy God. And in order to know God, we must be saved from the penalty of that sin. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, it says for the wages of sin. In other words, the penalty for the sin, mine and your sin, there's a penalty that has to be paid and it's death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so what we are learning is that that Jesus, he paid this enormous price, excruciating pain. His body was torn and ripped. He was nailed to a cross because that represents the weight of sin. You need to understand that God is fully against sin. There isn't anything about sin that, that God has any kindness towards and when, when he sees sin, there's a, a righteous anger that comes out in him against sin. And so what happened, though, is, is Jesus, on our behalf, became the substitute of all of God's wrath upon Jesus. And when you believe on Jesus as your Savior, you're literally saying that Jesus is taking the punishment, the penalty for my sin, so that I can be free and righteous and clean. That's why we say we are, we are washed by the blood of Jesus, and we are clean before God, and we can have a relationship with him because of the price that Jesus paid. That's why it's good news for us. It's good news. It's great news. Like good news, I feel like doesn't even say it enough. It's like great news. Like he died for us. He took the punishment so I can be free and have eternal life with our Savior. The death of Jesus is the hope for all humanity. And as I wrap this today, the wonder of his love is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. If somehow you made it to Life Church today, and this is something that you're like, I've never believed in Jesus in that way. I didn't know that that's what I was happening. I didn't understand salvation. I didn't understand that, that if Jesus didn't you know, pay for my sin, then it would be left on me. And then at some point, when I die, I would pay for that. If you're here today and, and this is like, oh, I, I, I don't want to go another day with that in my life. 
And I want to be, I want to be saved from that penalty. I want to be free. I want to be forgiven of all my sins. Then I want to give you this chance today, this moment. This is a moment for you to receive and believe on Jesus. Because I believe there needs to be a moment, a decision. I think there needs to be a moment where you go, no, that is what I believe. That is what I'm saying about my life. And the Bible teaches us, and we know this, that you are loved by God. That's the point, the wonder of his love. It's not based on anything you've done. He loves you. Our sin is what separates us from God. It's the sin that, that is in us, and, and everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short. Today, we've learned that Christ died on the cross as the payment for our sin. Your moment today is to accept and believe on Jesus, that He is your Savior, that He took your sins so that you can be forgiven and have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Would you just take this moment and bow your heads? Consider your life. Consider where you are. Consider the fact of whether or not you have ever said and prayed and believed that Jesus is your Savior. And if not, you want to do that today, I want to give you that moment. On the count of three, if that's you, I want you just to lift your hand to me so I can pray for you. We're not going to embarrass you. But one, you need to know Jesus loves you. And two, without him, you pay the price. But in this moment, when you say, yes, I believe in Jesus, then you are forgiven and free. It's one, two, and if anyone here, three, raise your hand to me. Is there anybody in the house? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hey, let's all say this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I turn to Jesus. I believe in Jesus as my savior. Thank you for forgiving my sins. And I choose today to live for him all the days of my life in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I close today's service, I want to take communion together. Uh, we, we handed out many of these small communion cups. If somehow you got through the doors and we didn't get one to you, would you lift your hand real high? One of our ushers wants to bring you a communion cup so you can be a part of that. Leave them up real high. They're on their way. While they're coming, I just want to bring us back to this moment of, of what Christ did for us. In the early church, they were instructed to take communion because in the communion is a little piece of bread that represents his body and there's some juice that represents his blood that was shed. At our church, we, we, are, um, we take communion every Sunday here. And so if you um, come, you know, church here on a regular basis, we, during our worship, give an opportunity for you to leave your seat and go find the little tables in the back and, and take communion. And I want to encourage you to do that every single Sunday. It's very unique to our church to do that. And it's probably, you know, to get up and stretch your legs a minute, but you, you walk and you, you go to the table and, and don't miss a Sunday because when you do that, you're remembering what Christ did. It's a place of worship. It's, a, it's amazing. We know that um, 
the Bible teaches us to remember Him. Remember what Christ did so that we'll never forget. So we always keep this place of appreciation. Also, I would encourage you to remember that, that in His sacrifice, in His body, He brought us our healing. Harriet always has a saying she loved to say, it's the meal that heals. And what she's saying is that by Jesus' wounds, we are made well, we're healed. And, and so when you take communion, you can, you can declare, Lord, thank you that you're healing my high blood pressure. And Lord, thank you that you're healing my marriage. Thank you that you're, you know, you're, you're healing you know, my ankle and, and you know, whatever it may be. You just, you just use that as a moment to come into contact with the healer. And last, I think it's important when you take communion to remember to recommit your life to Jesus. Because He paid it all, we want to live for Him. And so that's why I like to do it every week. It's just a place for me to say, God, I love you. More and more I love you and I appreciate you. This morning we're going to do it together. And so if you'd open the portion that's got the little wafer in there, it represents His body. And I'm going to just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, and this is the Apostle Paul writing this to the church in Corinth. But he says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. And on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. And he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. His body. His body that was broken and beaten, He did that for us. And He said, so often as you take that, remember Him. You can eat the bread. Scripture goes on to say that in the same way, He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and His people. New covenant, it's an agreement, it's a promise. It goes on to say that it's an agreement that's confirmed by my blood, Jesus said. And so when we take communion, remember the, the bread is about his body and the juice is about his, his blood that was shed that has brought us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father and we're forgiven and we're free. Every promise and privilege of the kingdom is in his blood. I think communion ought to be both a holy moment but also a moment of celebration because there's no greater thing that's ever happened in your life than your salvation. And so when you take communion, it ought to be both a, a holy spot, but also a praise you Jesus moment. And so after we drink the juice, let a little bit of your thankfulness turn into praise for just a moment. But Lord, we thank you for your body and your blood that was shed, that we have a new life saved free because of your blood in Jesus' name. Let's stand and just appreciate him for a moment. Would you just stand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let your praise show up. Let your praise come to your mouth. Let your praise come to your hands. He's worthy. He's worthy. Jesus, you're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Church, I love you.